Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show from FasterSkier.com. I'm Nat Hurst. We have got a couple of guests today to help recap the sensational women's relay at World Championships. Rachel Bachman, the former Faster Skier editor and Nordic Nation podcast host, comes on the podcast along with Sophie Caldwell, the U.S. Olympian and multiple World Cup podium finisher. We'll be back in a minute. Three races left after today. Boulder Nordic Sport is the industry-leading resource for cross-country ski equipment, waxing, stone grinding, and hand-selected skis. Whether you're looking to tour the local park, finish your 15th Berkey in style, or aiming for the next Olympic team, Boulder Nordic Sport's passionate staff can help you find the perfect gear for your skiing experience. Visit bouldernordic.com to shop one of the biggest selections of ski gear in the country, download a digital copy of the annual BNS magazine, or sign up for one of our professional race wax services for world masters and other key races. You can also find extensive waxing instruction on the BNS YouTube channel. Hi, guys. Um, well, we've got everyone here, plus an extra half half guest, at least. And uh, so maybe uh, how, how about I introduce Rachel and then Rachel can introduce our our other special guest. Does that sound like a good uh, <laughs> program? So um, we are we are really pulling out all this actually you know what we're doing today is um i i am the scramble leg for this podcast about the women's relay and uh, i'm gonna pass off to um rachel perkins who uh is was faster skiers um editorial boss uh putting in long grinding hours writing awesome features for a number of years i'm sorry i'm not looking at a resume here um and has continued to contribute also the host of the i think the nordic nation podcast and uh is is joining us from i think her home in colorado where she has uh i don't know i don't know if it's right to exactly say moved on but has also has added some responsibilities and and new work to her portfolio that maybe she could quickly share with us and uh yeah we're delighted to to have her join us yeah thank you i'm psyched to be on um yeah so i it turns out like nat um sometimes if you're like a really big nordark it's hard to fully cut ties and move on and you find your way back um but yeah it's i i after having a second one who is um second baby who is here with us today also um I took over as managing editor of an initiative called Project Red S, which is all about um, educating and empowering athletes about relative energy deficiency in sport. And I'm working on an awesome with an awesome team that includes Holly Brooks and um, Pippa Wolven, who's a retired uh, steeplechaser from the UK, who's kind of the founder and um, about to kind of relaunch, hopefully fairly soon. And we'll have some exciting stuff to to share at that point. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to. To be on here um I, and i recruited I could, go ahead wait i can't resist asking this question which maybe is a non sequitur but relative energy deficiency is that like another way of describing like uh disordered eating and is there a reason you guys use that term or is it more broad and all-encompassing yeah so um i think the 
Well, the idea, like to make it more of a medical term, right? It's caused by a mismatch between your expenditure and your intake. So that's the relative part, like the relative energy deficiency. And then I think one of the things we're talking a lot about is there are a lot of people who fall into this unknowingly or unintentionally or kind of like a slippery slope and they don't necessarily want to identify or they don't identify as having disordered eating or an eating disorder. So it makes it a little broader for people who maybe are unintentionally kind of caught into this um, condition, but also just encapsulates sort of like the root cause versus um, labeling it as something that has maybe a little more stigma associated. Cool. Got it. And then I recruited um, my neighbor, who's much more qualified to talk about this stuff than I am, um, Sophie Caldwell Hamilton, who uh, is coming to us from Basalt, Colorado, which is about 20 minutes from where I live, and I think is on her lunch break and can introduce herself, but probably needs not very much introduction. Well, thank, thanks for having me, everyone. I apologize because I sound terrible. I have a little cold. I'd say it's from my daughter's daycare, but somehow she's healthy and I'm not. So I don't know where I got it. Um, but great to be here. I, am I supposed to do a little intro or no? <laughs> Come on, Nat, uh, yeah. save, save her, Nat. <laughs> Sophie, Sophie is a complete boss of a skier and is one of the best sprinters that the U.S. has ever had and has a swath of absolutely amazing results. But not only that, she was a wonderful teammate. And I heard that from every single one of her teammates throughout her whole career on the national team. And she's Dartmouth grad too. So you got to throw that in there because I know there's a definite Dartmouth mafia out there, especially on the women's side of things um, over the last 10, 15 years all over the national ski team. But Nat, come on, you can give a quick little intro and then we can get going. Yeah, I mean, well, I just, you know, would specifically add that um, I, I I was deficient in my research, so I don't have the number on hand. But I mean, I, I think it's more than one hand the number of times you were on the World Cup podium, Sophie, correct? Do you know? Or is, is that a number that's lodged in the back of your mind? Or do you have to look it up in this database? I, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but... <laughs> And, and enough enough to say that that it's Sophie's Sophie's legit uh probably has more more cred than than any of the rest than the rest of us on this podcast combined all respect to Devin and <laughs> Rachel's uh Rachel's young child who still has some uh training to do so um yeah well now that we're all here we do have a a race to to break down and I'm gonna well I was talking to a guy last night who like pulled me over in the crowd at the Jesse Diggins gold medal ceremony. Who was like, we drove here from France. My kids listened to you all the way here. And I was like, maybe I should use a little less profanity, but if I, I'll just say it was an effing awesome race to watch. I, you know, I think we can talk a little bit more about the fact that the, um, you know, the U S performance, I don't actually know that I would argue that it like, you know, wasn't that good. I think, you know, maybe they skied to where they were. I think, you know, definitely some people were, were, were hoping for a little bit more and we can, we can get into that, but um, I don't know. Do we do, should we start with the the front end of the field and just Devin's Devin's ready? 
Yeah, no, I'm ready. I thought it was a phenomenal race in like all the women's races on the World Cup and especially at the World Championships. There's just been so much excitement and this thing had a ton of excitement. I think the weather, like people that maybe aren't totally versed in high level cross country skiing, when you have something around zero degrees Celsius, which is 32 degrees Fahrenheit, is that right? Yeah. Uh, it's very, very difficult to get classic kick that is both fast and enough kick to get up any hills. And those were the conditions that were on offer today in Planitza and made the classic legs incredibly difficult to get 100% perfect skis. And that, that played into that played into the race, I think a little bit, but before I say that, because Sophie's from new England, as are you Nat, uh, I have to, I have to ask like in some alternate universe, was there a U.S. skier in like 1948 or something or 1952 woman that was a total boss that just was not getting any love from the U.S. ski team and had to switch nationalities to Norway and then went to Norway and ended up winning everything for the last next 15 years. And then there became like the curse of Julie Smith, a little bit like the curse of the Bambino with the Boston Red Sox, because every time I am like 100 percent sure this time it's going to happen with the U.S. women on the podium in this 4 by 5 k relay. There's something that just, and this time I agree with you 100%, Nat, that it wasn't even the curse of the Bambino 2.0. It's, it's the other teams that were on the podium today and Finland skied phenomenal races. And I'm with you, Nat, like just to come out of the gate swinging, like I don't think the U.S. came to the table with like a bad team. And I think they put together the team that, they thought was good enough to do the job. I thought Jesse skied a, a fantastic leg. And we asked Haley, like Swerve lost some time, but it wasn't like, it shouldn't have been the nail in the coffin by any stretch of the imagination. Rosie ran into some trouble again, broke a pole and didn't have a great day as well. And then it's always so hard with Kern because like you're out there in no man's land. It looks bad on paper, but to be perfectly frank, like, what are you fighting for at that point? So um, lots of fun storylines, but I know I just buried the lead like big time, but um, I'd like to hear from Rachel or, or Sophie, especially for those classic legs. Did you see what I was seeing? Like I saw a lot of women like double pulling on terrain that they usually would have been striding and gliding quite beautifully because the, the conditions look challenging. Yeah, I was um, having kind of a hard time telling like, how skis were for for everyone it seemed like in some places people were double pulling up the whole hill um when others were striding i i i agree that yeah i don't think it was a bad day for the for the us i think they had a good team and they all skied pretty well i think it's so hard um as soon as you lose contact from the group you know the the last three legs that front group was skiing together and so i think it's really hard to, for the U.S. skier to close the gap, and that's not Haley's fault at all. I've been there and made a much bigger gap than that on the first leg. Um, but I think, yeah, one of these days it's going to happen. But I think it's going to require, you know, keeping in contact with the group the whole time and um, and everything coming together. You know, you can't have broken poles. You can't have one person who has slow skis, um, and you can't lose contact with the with the group. I want to um, I want to jump in and talk a little bit about um, <laughs> I got a lot of questions. There was some social media stuff and some emails about the um, decision about 
who to start in that scramble leg. Um, and I mean, I, I actually was asking the American coaches about that today too. I mean, I think, you know, we've seen Haley Swerble with some, some decent results this season. Like, I don't think we've seen Haley Swerble with like standout results this season. And then, you know, we had seen, um, Sophia Laukley and Sydney Palmer leisure, for example, like she was, I think 20th in the skiathlon and looking very sharp. Um, and, you know, there were a couple of questions about like order of the U S team and, you know, who you were putting in that spot. Um, Chris Grover, who spent a bunch of time with me after the race, um, said they chose Haley Swerble because they felt like, you know, that first leg of the relay can get you know, a little rough and tumble and they wanted someone who basically had experience, you know, skiing in that kind of a pack and who would be comfortable in that kind of setting. And then, um, with the, with the order, you know, I thought this was interesting. People were kind of throwing, throwing rocks at, you know, why, why do you start arguably the skier who's kind of the weakest link, uh, on that, on that first 5k and, and Chris's response to that was basically like, you know, we know that all these other teams are putting their heaviest hitters in those second and third legs. And so that's where we felt like, feel like we need to put Rosie Brennan and and Jesse Diggins. And I mean, like, I don't know. I I think it's maybe the result could have been a little bit better, but I I think like overall it was not, you know, with the way that the U S team has, has been skiing here. Like I think people skied the way they've been skiing at the championships, like Haley Swerble maybe had like a top 30 day and Rosie maybe had like a top 20, top 15 day, maybe as she just hasn't been, you know, skiing her best here. And I don't think, you know, again, she's really skied her best today. Um, and then Jesse had a good leg and Julia Kern had, I don't know, I haven't actually looked at that split, but you know, it's just like they were facing teams that were, that were lights out. Like what Germany did today was just awesome. So, um, I don't know. And they, you know, they were still fifth in the world, maybe six, you know, six in the world if, if Russia's here, but it's like, I don't know what it's not, it's not like this is an event where I think they should have been on the podium. I think it's an event where they can be on the podium in the future, maybe, but, um, you know, expecting more than that based on what we'd seen over the course of the championships feels to me to be kind of unrealistic. Yeah. I think going back to just the, the, in that first leg with, with Haley, I think what I was thinking was, it seemed like when the, the pack started to break apart, maybe three K in, um, what I was or what I was noticing was just like, if I think the placement in that lead group, like she was kind of hanging out right in the middle of that group and the first four athletes, like I think, um, uh, Emma Rebum made a move and kind of like led the pack and kind of started breaking it apart. And it almost seemed like Haley was just in an unfortunate position where has she been like one skier ahead, she might've been able to like maintain that contact. But as soon as that gap formed, like, I think she looked what I was impressed by and what I'm kind of curious to learn more about is like when that happens, like I thought she skied incredibly strong in kind of no man's land. Like she was just like in her own zone, trying to to regain contact, trying not to lose any more time, but she had lost like that lead group and she's all by herself. And I'm like the mental aspect of that. I just kept thinking like, I wouldn't want to be in that position, right? You're, you're seeing, you know, you have sort of the odds against you. Now you're on your own. You have to do all the work by yourself. This group is just out of reach, um, but you also don't want to bleed any more time. Um, 
kind of like, what is, what is that experience like? Like Sophie, you just kind of mentioned having ski to scramble leg and lost some time, like mentally, how, I I think there's so much emphasis on how like relay brings out this extra layer because you're doing it like really as part of a team and it brings out this different energy and sort of maybe different pressure and excitement. Um, But when, Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, like when, when that starts not going your way, like how do you mentally kind of process that in the moment and not let that just like stay in your head so that you can keep fighting? Yeah, it's really hard. And I think I probably could have done a better job of that. I think the times where I lost a, a lot of time, it was mentally really hard for me. Um, I actually, think Devin sent me one of the nicest messages I've ever received after my biggest blow up at the Olympics. But um, I think one thing about Haley, like, I guess looking at the team, I don't think I would have done a different team or a different order. I think when you're looking, like, Haley's just really solid. I think when you're thinking about putting a sprinter in there, like they did with me sometimes for the first leg, I think maybe there's like, a 25% chance that I can stick with the pack and a 75% chance that I'll lose like two minutes. Haley's never going to lose two minutes. It's like, maybe she really comes in with the pack, but I think she's a safe bet for like losing the least amount of time. And I think also with, with Rosie's leg, she ended up a ways back, but she kind of did what she had to do. Like she went out hard and tried to close the gap and then got tired and maybe blew up a little, but it's like, at that point you're, you're fighting for a medal. And I think that's sort of how I saw it too. When I was doing scramble legs, it's like, okay, I'm going to go out and try to stay with the front pack. And there's a decent chance I blow up, but like, if I don't, I come in with the pack and I'm confident that the rest of them can keep us in medal contention. And it's a bit of a, a risky play, but in a race, like a relay, I think that's what you have to do because it doesn't really matter if you get fifth or sixth, you're going for a medal. I, I completely agree. And I've been there with you too, Sophie. Like, I, mean, I, you know, in 2010, we were that team, we were the U S women's team of the last six years where if everything came together, we should have been on the podium. If you look at our individual results at that, those Olympics in Vancouver, uh, we should have been there. And, and it was the same conditions. It was rub ski conditions. And I Traditionally in my career, I mean, I'm scared of rub ski conditions. I didn't have great rub skis until the tail end of my career. And then also struggled to, to convert when it was, when it was challenging and I got dropped in, in that lead leg and mentally it's so difficult when, you know, you're like, I am putting at that point, Alex Harvey who is a second year senior in a horrendous position at his first Olympic games. And Alex pulled a Rosie and went out hard, blew up completely, lost even more time than I lost. And then the relay kind of like fell off the rails completely. And we hobbled in for seventh. Um, so it's, it's so incredibly hard mentally when that gap happens. And <laughs> it sounds simplistic, but I, what Sophie said at the top of this is, is really the key to these things is like contact, 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 contact. You have to maintain contact the whole way through. Or you need Rosie skiing outside herself in that second leg. And Jesse did do exactly what she needed to do had Rosie skied outside herself. Like had Rosie closed the gap down to 15 seconds, then the U.S. is in the hunt 
for the podium. And then we could have seen what kind of day Kern needed to have. That said, it didn't happen. And the other thing too, that I wanted to ask Sophie about is like the women's race, like the 5k is just a race that no one ever does in any gender. And it's, I know I've done prologues at the tour de ski, which was anywhere from like 3.5 K to like five point something kilometers. And it's a punishing race. And especially when you don't have experience competing at that, like 10 to 14 minute effort, like it's something we never do in cross country skiing. And I, I thought you saw a lot of that today too. And I, I think the margins were so thin in the sense that like, we'll get back to this. I'm sorry. We're, I'm sorry for the listeners. We're hopping all around here today, but, but like you just saw what happened when, when uh, Eber Anderson fell and broke her pole and she lost just a little bit of time. Like this is no time. You've lost literally no time. Like Frida should close this. No problem. Like race is totally under control. No big deal. But you know what? The margins are so thin in these five Ks because if you go over, like Sophie was saying, if you redline a bit, it, then, then the wheels fall off and they fall off big time. Yeah. And what was funny watching that last leg when they all went out, they were like, the first four teams were all between like four and eight seconds apart. And it's like just big enough a gap that it's hard to close, but it is absolutely terrifying if like you're the person running away, but they just kind of, I mean, I guess Krista closed on Maya, but they were just kind of like spread out like that. Um, And it looked like they should all come back together, but it didn't. But that 5k it's yeah. The 5k distance. I feel like I've had some of my, both my best feeling races and my worst feeling race. It's like when it comes together and you pace everything perfectly, it feels so good, but there's the potential for it to go like very south. (laughs) Well, I really want to talk about, um, I mean, the, the Abba, Abba Anderson fall was like, that was a big moment, but I I really want to talk about Ingvild Plukstad Osberg, just absolutely um, taking down Frida Carlson um, and, and like, man, there were some serious recriminations in the Swedish camp after that, but then also like the performance by Germany today. And I have like a little Intel on that. That's pretty cool. Like that was just, again, that was effing awesome. And I, I just, I have so much respect for like the German team, which really, you know, they don't have like Hennig has been really good this season, but like they don't have a superstar and they don't have two or three superstars. And yet they like put together a team that, you know, almost is competing with Norway. Like, there are just so many storylines to this race today. Like it was so good. I don't even know where to start, but, you know, maybe we start with Ingvild Flickstad Osberg, who's like had, you know, just such a, a really difficult time with um, her, her like, uh, body weight and the Norwegians telling her that she couldn't race and then coming back and having a really difficult world championships where, you know, she's, she's not been on the podium and then just delivering an absolutely stunning performance to, to drop the Swedes and just completely seal the race in that moment. And it just, I mean, that was huge. And I can only imagine, you know, there were the Norwegians were speaking in Norwegian for about two hours coming through the mix zone. So you really never get a, a shot at them, but uh, you know, she seemed like pretty, like that seemed just like a, a completely enormous accomplishment for her and, and so cool to watch. I don't know what you guys thought. 
Yeah, I'd like to hear Rachel's perspective on this one too, because the, with Germany especially, because I was flabbergasted last year at the 4x5K relay when Germany was second and then won the team sprint. I mean, talk about an Olympics gone right for Germany. And I agree with you completely, Nat. And like Ingveld, I'd like to circle back to Ingveld because that was the best performance you've seen out of Ingveld in four years. That's no question. It was phenomenally well executed. But I just like from more like I know it's been you were just so close, Rachel, it, with, with skiing a lot like Nat, you know, like from the journalist side of things. But was this something you were surprised at how good Germany was doing? Or were you expecting this after what, what you saw at the Olympics last year? And then also like the build up, like how Germany, the German women's program has really built things up here in the last few years, at least in the team events. Yeah, I think when I was I I'm pretty sure I covered the um Either the, I think I think I covered the relay during the Olympics last year, and what I kind of recognized was that they were sort of like the sleepers. Like they were just like they hadn't necessarily had a lot of results that were getting them the attention of like like they're not on the podium um, or weren't consistently on the podium, but they were always sort of like lurking right in the top ten and had or, or in the top fifteen or top twenty, and they didn't um, they didn't they had they had a pretty tight spread like if you looked at some of the results and I'm not as I haven't been looking as closely this season but I would suspect that that's sort of still the case like you don't have the person who's at the top of the podium every time anybody hold on one sec okay um but you have these people who are just consistently like in some ways the way that the U.S. is primed to be on the podium right there you have a fairly tight spread and you have consistent racers um and so I think like I, I was, my call for today was that Sweden was going to come out on top, but I definitely had Germany getting a podium. Yeah. I loved watching the German team today. And I thought, um, they were just skiing with so much confidence from the last championships and like watching Laura Gimler out there who like arguably has no place to be up there duking it out with the people. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but she's just like skiing, like she belongs there with that confidence. And I think that was just very apparent to me um, that they were skiing like they belonged there because they had had the success before. And even though they've had the success, I still think a lot of people aren't betting on them to be on the podium. So um, I thought that was definitely one of the highlights of the day. I, I want. I agree, but now I got to jump in on that because, because with Ingveld being the performance of the day, I think all of us are would agree that that was the, that was the knockout punch and just seeing how she was skiing again, like I go on and on and on about technique and this, that, and the other, but it's hard to see any faults with Ingveld's technique today. I mean, she was looking so strong, such high hip position. And she was like a metronome on especially on the gradual uphill terrain. It was, it was something to behold. It was incredibly well delivered, but Pia Fink was seventh in the 10 K. This is the thing that is just so incredible. And Pia Fink got dropped with that big dig from Ingveld and was back with Frida getting just shelled and then came around Frida Carlson and dropped Frida Carlson like a bad habit and finished into the exchange like six point something seconds back off an Ingveld that delivered what I think is her best performance in a long, long time, especially in a race. The reason why I keep saying that, because I know I'll get some pushback of that. Like she's been on the podium this year. Like, how can you say that? But here's how I can say that because 2014 Ingveld 5k skate 
was a was a great event for her. 2023 Ingveld, 5K skate is like a horrible event for, for, for Ingveld. Ingveld's best event now is 10K skate, high altitude, hard. And, or not even hard, like gradual terrain, like we saw her today. Like in that, those gradual climbs, that's why she's always good in Davos. It's terrain that suits her really well. But Pia Fink, she gets the second best race of the day. And if Ingveld didn't exist, that would have been the race of the relay. And, and she, she was skiing like, like she's been top three in the world cup 50 times. Like she skied with such poise, confidence and, and patience to not limit the losses, but like exchange Victoria Carl in that last leg, only six odd seconds back off, off a hard charging um, Calvo, which we should probably talk about too. Cause what a great last leg by Calvo too. Yeah. I just looked, so she, Pia think was seventh in the 10 K free uh, during the world championships, which I like, I feel like that's an example of like, it's not necessarily on my radar as like she was on the podium, but a really solid performance. And then you look at some of the other women on that team and um, you know, you have Hennig finishing fifth in the tour to ski fourth in the skiathlon. There's like, the results are all there. They're just not the ones that you're seeing on the headlines day to day. And so when they put together a good day as a relay, um, it's they're they're right where, where they, it, it makes sense. Like it's not, it doesn't, it, it's not there. They're not coming out of the woodwork. Um, <laughs> I was just going to share a couple things I learned from uh, Peter Schlickenreiter, who's the, like the head of the German team. Uh, he was saying like the German women's coach or one of their women's coach, like died of cancer, like in the middle, like during the Ruka world cup this year. And, uh, you know, basically he'd had like six months from his diagnosis to when he, died and so it sounded like that was like just a really intense thing for the team to go through this year and they are now they're now they're now coached by uh interestingly Per Nielsen a Swedish guy who actually used to be working with the U.S. biathlon team um so that was that was an interesting thing that he shared and I mean we talked about this last year they just they have it feels like they just have like a really great vibe and camaraderie on the German team. Like they, they, he's Schlickenreiter is always talking about how they're using the U S team as a model. So um, yeah, that, I don't know. That was pretty cool. I mean, to come back to what you were saying, Devin, about um, and Shirsi Calvo and uh, the, the end of the, the, the women's relay. I mean, sh she had an Epic leg. I just like thought it, there were some really weird like dynamics here. And I, the one that I, really like it go it almost goes without saying today but i feel like we should say it, which is like i mean like everyone knows like norway was not expected to win this race and just the idea of like norway winning a race as an underdog like the level of sort of celebration and jubilation and relief and and euphoria that like was on display like these guys the, the, these Norwegians today the coaches and the athletes I think you know it just this would I don't think you can overstate like how huge uh an accomplishment that was this was for them I did want to play for you guys um it it is like mayhem in in Kranskagora like where I'm staying tonight like drunken Norwegian fans just like stumbling all over the place and like so this um they're so, we can't so hear anything. Just, we can't hear anything. So you're gonna have to narrate what they're saying. But yeah, it, well, it was that was just a, a video of like there's like outdoor apres ski whatever, and they're 
there's this like huge mass of Norwegians at this outdoor bar, all waving their flags and singing along to Sweet Caroline like an hour ago, which is just like, you know, that's that's the vibe. So I don't know, really awesome accomplishment for Norway. For sure, it was an awesome accomplishment for Norway. And I think like some perspective on that that you just laid out, but it's, we talked about this yesterday with Thomas, the the infamous Swedish journalist from Express. And Norway, like this is the NBA here for them. And the newspapers, every major newspaper, every every news outlet is just following these cross-country skiers so closely. And they were under immense scrutiny. The women's team was under immense scrutiny both their coaches left last year, like Ola Morten Iverson and Ola Vigan Hadestad. There was no coaching staff. They got Chiola back in the in the in the mix, who's the head coach, which is which was a great pick because he's been uh, an esteemed coach in the Norwegian program before. And then Petter Nortug's old coach Kvinnos too. So like it's uh, it's impressive. But you saw how much it meant to those guys. Like they were crying. The coaches were bawling their eyes out the techs always ball their eyes out because they're working like 18 hours a day and don't get paid anything. So they're just totally like rat bagged completely. So that's not surprising, but the way Anokaiza skied too, I think, you know, like getting COVID just before the Olympics last year, and then this year coming out and just having a season, the likes that I don't think she expected, like she's been skiing so, so, so well only to get COVID in the middle of the tour to ski when she was sitting top five and had to leave from that. And then she was fourth in the 10k skate which is an amazing result for sure but but uh, calvo has been fourth a bunch this season and to see her be the one to bring it on home for norway to win the relay and like you said it was an underdog story i know people are going to think i'm bonkers for saying that but but these women have been getting lit up in the media before the season started and there was so many articles like i don't think the norwegian women will take a single world cup podium this year there was not just one article. There was like multiple articles in the off season with so-called experts saying that, and not just so-called, these guys are experts. I mean, they're, they're like, they're the talking heads of, of skiing and going like, I don't know. I don't, don't get your hopes up. Like this could be really tough. And then bang, they win the relay and not just they win the relay, but they win the relay with Ingveld delivering a knockout performance. And then, and Ashir Stikalvo, who has no relay experience, really like she's raised some world cup relays, not many delivering, a beautiful last leg. And then let's talk about Astrid Schlin too. Like you talk about leg two and three being knockout legs. Like Astrid Schlin has never been to the world championships before, has never skied leg two before and hung on there. And she was dangling, man. Like it looked a bit touchy and, and she delivered a, a beautiful performance, did what she had, not beautiful performance maybe, but she delivered what she had to do to keep them in contention. So I, I think this, I, I don't know. I think, I think the race really like it, it, it had it all, and we have one more left uh, with with the 30k classic for women, which I'm of course like incredibly looking out, like I'm looking forward to. But uh, I think it was a nice crescendo to a championship from the women's side of things that has just been like a, a pleasure to to watch, honestly. Yeah, I feel like race of the championships uh, for sure. Um, I don't know any other observations from uh, today. I was going to talk about Parmakowski's uh, anchor leg. I think like I was watching her and Dahlquist kind of uh, go head to head for that whole leg was reminding me a lot of the last world championships when it was Parmakowski and Diggins. And I feel like 
for an athlete that's probably sort of in the, the like twilight of her career, right? Pernikoski, um, she has a way of like really putting it together on days that like these relay anchor legs have just been so exciting. Um, and yeah, I'm curious if other people thought the same thing or what, what you were seeing out there, but just watching the two of them really duke it out for bronze was a pretty exciting, uh, exciting race within the race. And, and pretty ultimately like impressive for Dogfist to, to hold on. And I mean, it was, it, I thought it, it made, it made, I feel like we kind of thought that like Dogfist as the anchor was going to be like, you know, maybe she was going to be out spring, uh, and, and Chersey Calvo. And instead it was like, actually she's in like a real, and would maybe be in a really tough fight with her, but instead she was in a really tough fight with Parmakoski and that was, I don't know. I agree. Like that was, it was pretty fun to watch. And I mean, Dolphus really like she saved Sweden's bacon for that relay from it being like an absolute fiasco instead of uh, having it be a only a kind of a fiasco, well, a fiasco instead of a huge fiasco. Um, and, and then actually I, I forgot, I, we, we got to talk a little bit about the, what, like they're, crazy headlines in the Scandinavian press where like Frida Carlson complained a little bit about her skis. And then like the sweet, the head of the Swedish service team was like, I don't think the skis were bad. I think maybe the athletes standing on the skis were bad. And then like Frida's mom called one of the reporters and was like, I, I know this is like stabbing Frida in the back. And then they had to have like a team meeting and, I, you know, I think the, the way uh, I, someone made this comment, I think that I read in one of the papers, but like it was shades of, of uh, Beijing for Frida Carlson today, who, you know, really, uh, they were there, they were kind of calling her silver Frida in this uh, world championships. And, you know, like w- today was going to be the day for her to get the gold medal. And, and instead it was like, utter collapse and uh yeah I don't know I mean will we even see her start the 30k classic now like she had to be helped up helped out was was looking pretty grim so yeah I don't know that just I mean uh, gotta have at least a little drama um if you know yeah um I'm done now What do you think, Sophie? What do you want to do? You want to take a stab at what you saw, Frida, or just leave it, let it just let it lie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess nothing like really stood out to me, but I also know it's like if your skis are a small percentage off, like even if you can't see it on TV, they're just a little slower. Like you have to work that much harder, um, and so I don't feel like I'm in a position to say they were or weren't good um yeah nothing stood out to me but that doesn't mean that I mean she's a strong skier and she can also make her skis look fine when they're not and I I I agree with that too Sophie that that um you know Cal Halverson was complaining about the skis earlier in the team in the team sprint and you know got some questions about that but I mean like why who am i sitting here to argue that cali skis were actually really good they didn't look really good and i would say also like frida's skis didn't look outstanding like she wasn't gliding away from people on the downhill or anything 
but like you said, Sophie, it's just, it's just so hard. It's just so hard to know, but oof, being in a championship, having been in a championship before where the, the great Alex Harvey really threw like TNT into our Sochi Olympics, by <laughs> just saying our skis were hot garbage and we're hot garbage in every race. And then the text feeling super bad and like coaches losing at it. Like it, it's just not what you want to have happen at a world championships. You, you, you want to try and keep that fire and that the techs are completely shattered midway through a championship. And people don't truly understand that a world championship, it's only 10 days long and there's races almost every day. And these guys are up in like the fours and going to bed at like 11 and testing an insane amount hanging out in wet clothes only and living on like pretzels and cola and probably a couple barley pops too. And like, it's so I understand that the head tech is like, this is outrageous that Frida's coming after me. I don't think the skis were bad, but at the same time, like that tech should have conversations with Frida off the air. And I don't know where I stand on it. I just never know where I stand on like athletes saying to the media that their skis are bad. Like, I think in hindsight, I think you should, you should be allowed to say that, like, I don't think my skis were that good today. And, and, um, I know it looks bad when Frida looked so good and then got distanced by Pia Pink in skating. But at the same time, like if maybe her skis weren't that great or the slow down or whatever, and, and it's for the, the staff to just like, I know you're exhausted, but man, you, 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 even though it's hard, I know Frida, like we're watching Frida being carried out like every third race, you know what I mean? And like ambulances are called, like, I'm surprised they don't have like, just like EMTs on staff for Sweden right now. And they have a bus, they've got all these wax trailers. They should just have like some deckled out, like Scania ambulances to carry Frida out from all these races. But so I, I get that there's drama there, but going after her opinion about her skis is just a distraction you don't need. And, and Frida's the, the big favorite for the 30k classic. Like, she has a gold medal waiting for her and she doesn't need distractions, especially by her own staff. That, that's my perspective. Well, I have a, I actually have one more question um, sort of uh, riffing on that a little bit, which is it's going to start with, I, I want to show you guys what my hotel room looks like here in uh, Slovenia right now. Two, we got two pizza boxes, like a lot of laundry. There goes there goes the microphone. Um, you know, a, a two-week-old baguette at this point. Um, and my question is like, I uh, it's it's a it's a grind. Uh I, I don't think anyone would deny that, but I and like I'm like I'm feeling pretty grinded, but I'm curious, like for the athletes, do you guys get that same kind of feeling at the end, like, you know, when you get toward the end of an event like this, and is that actually really part of the, the game and the sport to, you know, be managing that kind of like fatigue or boredom or, you know, just tiredness of being around these same people and going through the same routine every day, or is it, you know, 10, 10, 11 days, we're not talking about like, being in the gulag for a year and it's all it's it's all fine. Devin, you probably have a better answer to that. I feel like I I was rarely racing all the races. And so it would be like, you know, focusing on the sprint and maybe one other one that were pretty early on. And then I was often getting to go out and cheer, help feed. Um 
switch things up a little bit, but it might be different for someone who is, who is trying to focus on racing every event. I know I, I yeah, I know I, I know I struggled, but I mean, my, my homeostasis is a deep well of self-loathing, which doesn't loan itself to energy management skills. So a lot of these championships, I, I would get sick at the end. And even when I was in good shape, and I think a big part of that, of course, everything's hindsight when it's game over, like, like we do when we break down these races from our couches, uh, a little bit like me breaking down my own career, but I, I had a tendency to overthink things just in general. I still do uh, in my life, but in, in skiing, it's just it, when you're just having to read your name on the results list day in, day out, week in, week out. And this, these dates have been circled in your calendar for so long. And like Sophie was saying, with, with some of her relays she's experienced, I've, I've experienced the same as well. And, and how difficult that is mentally, I, I felt, you know, you know I'll, I'll use like 2013 in his example, World Championships in Val de Fiam. Alex and I were fourth in the team sprint. And sure, I wasn't having the same season that I had in 2012, but I was still all over the top 10 in the most races in, uh, in the World Cup. And not most, but a, a number of times coming into those championships, fourth in the World Championships, like things should be good. I had horrendous skis and I did the scramble leg or the second leg. I think I did the second leg. Lenny did the first leg and brought us in like a minute adrift or so. And I went out in no man's land a lot, lot like Rosie and my skis were horrendously bad and proceeded to lose two minutes. I think like, I think we got lapped. Like, honestly, it was a fiasco. And did you see me starting the 50 K? Like, no, you didn't. I was beating myself up for days and couldn't put it behind me and was sick. And what happened in 2011 when we won world championships, today actually 12 years ago alex of course sent me a bunch of photos of him acting a fool on that day which was uh pretty funny i didn't even know that but um you know i was top 10 in the pursuit and and we won the team sprint and it was really really hard for me to sit out the 15k classic the day before a little bit like jesse did with the skiathlon sitting out that skiathlon to be ready for the team sprint 15k classic was my best event and i didn't do it when i was in my best shape and we won the next day so it all paid off but when Alex Harvey was fifth in the 50K with 130,000 fans in Oslo, I was sick. And Alex was really good about putting disappointments and triumphs to bed or just being so incredibly self-confident at all times as he is to this day that he just presses forward and puts all his energy in the right directions where I was too cerebral and, and, and also, yeah, like I said, like beat myself up incredibly bad. And if I did bad, like I, I was not good to myself and, and you can't do that at these championships. So that's what I worry about when there becomes spats with like Frida Carlson, because luckily for me, if I bombed, like nobody cares, like nobody cared if I bombed, like it's not the articles written about me if I bomb. And then if I win, there's like faster skier writes an article about me. CBC might write an article about me. Like, a month later, perhaps, probably not. They'll write an article about Alex, who maybe I beat and Alex was six, and there'll be like 10 articles. So I, I never had to live with the pressure that Frida's on. And that said, energy management is a huge part of this game. And when I see sideshows like we saw here and, and at the Olympics last year, which was again a Frida Carlson kind of show there, it's not helpful. Frida Carlson's best chance to win gold in the whole championship, even before it started, was the 30K Classic. And I just hope that she can pull it together because she's deserving and, and she's been at the top for a long time. And it's a, it's a race and course that suits her, but she does not need these distractions. 
kind of a similar vein, I guess the a question I had was about just like the importance of momentum in either direction in how like race outcomes um, happen. And like, I was hoping, I remember when, when Jesse got a medal, her first medal in the Olympics, there was a lot of buzz about like, this happened really early in the games that like takes some of the pressure off. And now like, maybe there's more momentum involved and maybe more medals will come. And with her two medals here, I was sort of wondering if that was going to create a little bit of extra something, some kind of momentum heading in for the U S today. Um, but also for some of the other athletes, like what in both directions, can you talk a little bit about maybe Sophie and, and Devin just when you start to pick up momentum, either good momentum or bad momentum, does that sort of like continue to manifest and what just, how do you, how does that change your approach and mental focus and like the, the cumulative fatigue of things when you are in a two week event series like this? Yeah. Well, when Devin was talking, that was exactly what I was thinking about. Just like momentum is so hard to break regardless of which direction it's going. Um, and I think in a, you know, in a season or in a championship event, like if you have that positive momentum, like there just isn't, you have the confidence, there isn't the stress surrounding you. Like you tow the start line feeling like you belong there. And as soon as it starts going in the opposite direction, um, especially in a championship event, I think it's so hard to break because the doubts start creeping in. And I think Devin, you, you said you tend to overthink things. I don't think you're alone there. I think most athletes probably do. Um, but yeah, it's really hard to just sort of clean slate, forget about the races early in the, earlier in the season or earlier in the event and just approach each day. Um, yeah. With a, with a clean slate when you have that momentum in either direction. And I think that was, yeah, that was something I definitely, had a hard time with in my career. Well, I mean, I guess when it was good momentum, it wasn't that hard. Um, everything's just easier then, but the, I think the bad momentum in particular is just, is just really hard to break. For sure. And I think those are the stories that are amazing and, and stand the test of time. And honestly, stories that I don't think get told all, all that much in cross-country skiing, because we're used to like the Pedernor tugs or, or, uh, Klebo, for example, or Mara Bjergen or Terezio hugging the distance races, just or Kala at her best, like just win, win, win. All I do is win. And it's I like the most one of the most, and this is just sounds so silly coming out of my mouth, but one of the most impressive turns of momentum that Sophie's talking about that I've ever witnessed was my wife actually in 2014 when the first race of the championship and these start positions are impossible to get for Norwegian women in, in the distance races, especially at that time. And the skiathlon was arguably her best chance for medal. It was at altitude. It was really hard courses. And she just like completely shit the bed. Sorry for my language, but she was, it was the worst skiathlon of her whole career. And on top of that, you had a number of women that were fighting for these spots. And then there was no guarantee that she would get to do the 30 K, which is the last event of the championship, you know, 15 days later. And in that time, there was tragedy that struck the, the Norwegian team with Astrid Jakobsen's brother taking his own life and having the whole team getting leveled with that. 
and still Kristen was not getting any information if she could do the 30k or not till the very last second a couple of days before and she came out and finally got that individual medal at the Olympic Games to be third in the 30k I have no idea I think she should be the one on this podcast or write a book like the Tao of Kristen or something but she's also incredibly calm and chill and thank God for that in my life. But it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. I, it was, it was a puzzle, Sophie, I, I could never solve. I, I'm with you. Like when things were rolling, I could let it roll. Like I could let it ride and, and uh, everything was fine. I mean, I could sleep on the floor. I didn't care if the van was three hours late. It didn't matter. I just was having fun. And I, I it, without knowing it, cause I just never believed in myself still don't, it, it, it was just kind of an autopilot. Like, I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's going to be fine. Like it, like the races will come and they'll be what they'll be. But then when it, when it went sideways or South, like, yeah, I, that's the advice I give to anyone in, in, in sport is like, you, you, you got to put things to bed and you got to just march forward. Cause there's always another opportunity and all the energy you waste is energy that you can't put into your next performance. And, and that that's the take-home message I think because it, it is difficult but if you want to make the grade if you want to be the Jesse Diggins or the or the Terezi Ohug or the Marit Bjergen um or the Klebo like the tie that binds is that they the, or Alex like the, the the tie that binds is that they're very very good at putting their energy in a direction that's that's going to solve their their goal or like achieve their goal which is use it on the ski trail so tough yeah. And I, I mean, just really quickly to pile on to that. I mean, Chris Grover, I think it was Chris Grover. It might've been Matt Whitcomb. It's been a, it's been a long week, but um, the, they talked specifically earlier this week about how Jesse, you know, has really demonstrated that kind of professionalism at being able to like manage energy when you, you know, when you, when you win a race or are on the podium, it's like, the grind that you got to go through to to just get to the next day it's like you have an hour and a half in the mix zone like jesse when i talked to her she was like you know i was like we could do a walk and talk and like she walks me all the way back to the exercise spin bikes and you know we do the interview while she's doing that and then you know she's got to go to a press conference then she's got to go to a medals ceremony and blah 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 so i you know i think seeing seeing that from her it seems like she really has that routine down so um on that note we are we are hitting an hour which i think is like we're that's like a marathon accomplishment for us uh nine races down three to go rachel sophie thank you so much for joining us and uh yeah um we'll be back tomorrow Thanks, everyone. Great to see you. Yeah, thank you. Sad to see me, Sophie. I will. <laughs> Enjoy Colorado, Rachel. Enjoy, guys. All right. Later, guys. See you tomorrow, Nat. Yeah. Ciao. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.